0: unfortunately very common today the the phrase that i am referring to is a senseless tragedy i don't know when that phrase entered our vernacular but we hear it it seems almost weekly in reference to some act of terror some random act of violence murder in a movie theater There's certainly a lot of things in our world that deserve that label. And a lot of things throughout history can be called senseless tragedies. But not the cross, not the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The cross was cruel, and it was unjust, it was criminal and violent. But it was not senseless. The Apostle Peter reminds us that Christ's crucifixion was a grave, grave injustice. In his letter that we refer to as 1 Peter, he writes, He committed no sin, neither was deceit in his mouth. It is amazing as you read Scripture how the testimony regarding Christ's innocence, his righteousness, comes from so many places. One day, Jesus was gathered around, a crowd was gathered around Jesus. And he said to the crowd, who was filled with his enemies and his friends too, Who can convict me of any sin? And though his enemies were there and would have loved to have been able to charge him with wrongdoing, they couldn't. And his friends who had walked and lived with him f- every waking moment for years couldn't bring a charge of sin against him. And as we just read, at his trial, that sham of a trial The charges were laid before Pilate and he would say, I can find no basis for a conviction. He's done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve death. But he would hand him over to an unjust crucifixion anyway. And as Jesus hung on the cross, the one thief hurled insults, but the other said, don't you fear God? We're suffering justly. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And the centurion, after Jesus had breathed his last, looked up and said, Truly, this was a righteous man. A soldier, a thief, a politician. His friends and even, in a way, his enemies, all acknowledged his righteousness, his innocence. No one could bring a true charge against Jesus. Yet he was crucified. A grave act of injustice. But through this, Jesus did not lift his voice in protest. Peter goes on and he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. I find that almost hard to relate to because I am so quick when I've been slandered, so quick when I feel like I've been treated unfairly to plead my case, to argue for fairness, to expose the truth, but not Jesus. Jesus. He stood there and allowed false witnesses to slander him. He stood there and heard the false accusations and didn't defend his cause, didn't justify himself. And he was beaten, beaten with fists, spit upon, scourged with the Roman whip, and he didn't curse. He was reviled by the crowds who chanted, Crucify him, crucify him. And people turned their heads in disgust when they saw his beaten, bloody body. But he didn't hate, he didn't cry out, Why? What have I done to deserve this? And he was mocked with that purple robe and that crown of thorns. He was mocked when they said, he saved others, let him save himself. But he didn't scorn them. He must have been saying inside, I'm not saving myself so that I can save you. As he was crucified, he didn't pray for revenge. He prayed for forgiveness. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He was a lamb, not being led to the slaughter. He was a lamb, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, going to the slaughter, willingly, without protest. Because he was entrusting himself, Peter says, to the one who judges justly, He knew it did not matter what Pilate's verdict was or what the crowds thought of him. He knew it would be God, the Father, who would vindicate him and his cause in three short days. He knew that this suffering, though it was unjust and cruel, was a part of God's drama of redemption. It was the role in this unfolding drama that he willingly accepted for himself. So it wasn't senseless. The cross was cruel. It was unjust. But it fits into this cosmic drama of redemption. And it's meaningful. In fact, I would say that the cross is the most meaningful event in all of history. It is the event That gives every other event in history its meaning. Since the beginning, history has been marching towards the cross. From the first moment that our parents, Adam and Eve, plunged humanity into darkness, into sin, and into death, God had made a promise that one day he would send a Savior that one day the drama would reach its climax, that one day the seed of woman would come and though wounded, would destroy the serpent. And since then, all history has been marching towards the cross. But even that doesn't take us back far enough because before history, Jesus was already the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. So it would probably be proper to say that history was created for this moment. History was created for the cross. And history has been marching towards the cross. Because there at the cross, the great invaders in God's world are dealt with decisively. Sin and death are destroyed. Peter continues and he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus goes to the tree bearing our sins for us, freeing us from sin's guilt and sin's power, and opening up the kingdom of righteousness to us, sinners. See, apart from the cross work of Christ, sin would still be our master. Sin is not the kind of master that you can just walk away from. Sin is a till death do we part kind of master, But Jesus comes, and he dies the death that we need. In his death, the punishment for all our service to that master called sin is meted out. And more than that, he brings us in to his death with him so that we have truly died to sin. And sin is no longer our master. Instead, having died to sin, we now are awakened, given a rebirth into a life of righteousness. His wounds have brought our healing. Sin is a poison that has destroyed health. But Jesus comes to heal. What kind of healing does Jesus bring? Well, what kind of sickness has sin brought? The kind of sickness that sin has brought is the kind of sickness Jesus heals. Do you mean physical sickness? Yes. Emotional sickness? Relational sickness? Yes. Yes. See, Jesus comes, and in dying on that cross, he undoes all the effects of sin. They begin to work backwards. He brings healing to his people and to his world. He opens up the door to eternity, where there is no sickness or dying, where there are no more tears, no more aching hearts, no more wounds. It all begins with spiritual healing. Sin is a poison that has killed our souls, and Jesus comes and brings healing to them. He restores our souls. His blood is the balm that cures. With his outstretched arms on the cross, he bridges the chasm for us and brings us back to God who is our health and our life. He has brought healing to us. By his wounds we have been healed. Peter ends the section of his letter reminding those believers that were reading it that they once were straying like sheep, but now they have returned to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. They have returned to Jesus, who is the good shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the shepherd who cares for them, who leads them besides the still waters, who restores their soul, who brings life and goodness. But I wonder tonight, as we're gathered here to remember the death of the Good Shepherd, how many of us in this room tonight are still wandering like lost sheep? How many are still stuck in slavery How many tonight would hear the invitation and come, return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul? I pray tonight that if you have not yet done that, you would come to Christ, find the freedom and the life that his death opens up for you. That you would come and embrace the good shepherd, Come and embrace him and all the gifts he gives through faith, life, forgiveness, healing, and eternity. If that is something you have not done, there is no better time, my friend, than to do that now. Than to say in prayer, Father, I accept that wonderful gift of your son and the forgiveness that is in his name. Would you pray with me? Father, the depth of our sin, the debt that we owed is incomprehensible, but the grace that you have given abounds even more. You've given your own son to pay that debt. You gave him up to a death of a criminal, a death he did not deserve, but a death he embraced for us, his people to bring us life, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us healing. Father, we are thankful. Thankful for that grace. Thankful that we have an eternity to look forward. Father, we pray that you would warm our hearts to your Son. Help us to continue day by day to embrace him as our only good. As the good that surpasses everything. We thank you in his precious and holy name. Amen.